The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So I think, you know, at first the, the journey is about learning and like mastering the English uh, language. And then after that, it's really about reading a lot and then exploring the emotional complexity of like the human condition and as well as facing my own demons, my own fears. And that's, that's a lot of what um, becoming a writer is for me. Greetings, scribes. You're still tuned into the Writer Files, and I'm your gracious host, Kelton Reed, sending good vibes and healing thoughts during this global time of uncertainty and crisis. And this week, I present to you an interview with award winning writer and debut novelist Abigail Rosewood, who joined me to discuss the roller coaster of emotions first time authors face how she overcame rejection and uncertainty, and her advice to aspiring scribes on how to rise above the noise. Abigail was born in Vietnam and lived there until the age of 12, so it's no surprise that she tapped into her past as a well for her fiction. After a false start in international business, she earned an MFA in creative writing from Columbia University, where she studied with famed fictionist Gary Steingart. Her lauded debut novel, if I Had Two Lives, has been described as the story of a young woman from her childhood in Vietnam to her life as an immigrant in the United States and the necessary return to her homeland. The Los Angeles Review of Books called it a tale of staggering artistry, and the New Yorker said the novel poignantly conjures the difficulties of reconciling the present 
with an ungraspable history. And a quick note, this interview was recorded in February of 2020. In this file, Abigail and I discussed why empathy is so critical in fiction and the human experience, the surreal and fleeting feeling of holding your first book in print, how she was compelled to write the story of a Vietnamese immigrant protagonist, why rejection is such an integral part of the traditional publishing path, the importance of music and coffee to the creative process, and the most valuable traits for aspiring novelists. Stay safe. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Also, The Writer Files is now available on Alexa because Apple Podcasts are available on Alexa-enabled Amazon devices in the United States. Now all I have to do is say, Alexa, play The Writer Files on Apple Podcasts and she'll probably grant your wish. Stay tuned. All right, we are rolling today on the Writer Files, and I have an esteemed guest joining me today, Abigail Rosewood. Um, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm <laughs> pretty well, thank <laughs> you. I know I've I've asked you this question twice now, but uh, yeah. So I understand you are uh, in New York City. Ah, uh, yes, I live in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, okay, and. Uh, I, we are expecting some snow. We've been pummeled recently with uh, a ridiculous amount of snow. I think we've got a foot and a half of snow um, outside right now and a storm coming in tonight. What's uh, what's going on over there in Brooklyn? Wow, I envy you. It, it hasn't really been much of a winter, and I actually love snow. And it's been like the fluctuating weather. You know, we, we've gotten some really warm days, so... Hmm. Um, some days it feels like spring in the middle of February, so um, it doesn't feel great. Like it doesn't seem like it's a great sign um, <laughs> of the, from the environment. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, climate change seems to come up often in, in my chats with authors, only because we're you know the, most authors that are in different states and different cities, and often in different countries. <laughs> Um, but we all seem to come to the same conclusion that this is not normal. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, the extreme fluctuations does not seem normal at all. No, no. And, you know, I, and I know in New York, you know, there's something very special about the changing of the seasons there because they're so typically very distinctive, you know, those four seasons, which are, you know, there's something magical about, I don't know, I, I, I love fall in New York City. Yeah, I do too. And I feel like um, I've read somewhere that people who experience um, seasonal depression usually can overcome it faster if they live in states where the seasons change is more um, prominent. Um, because otherwise, it's just one lengthy, you know, uh, season and then the depression doesn't have uh, a chance to switch off or you know, so I, I do think that that season changes matters for like interstate as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, seasonal affective disorder is a pretty common thing, and you know, I'm not talking about 
clinical depression by any means, but I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists especially probably experienced a little bit, um, yeah, some mood swings at the changes of the seasons, but also, um, you know, as the days get darker and darker, you know, there's something, there's something, uh, about our, I don't know if it's our circadian rhythm start to change. Is that what it is? Yeah, maybe. I mean, for me, I actually get the reverse. Like I get more sad in the summer. Um, I do very well in the dark winter. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it really depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I appreciate you taking the time today to wrap with me about all things writing and your writing process. And of course, your path to debut novelist and um I'll mention the name of the book here. Abigail wrote uh, this fantastic novel, If I Had Two Lives. And I want to talk more about it, but maybe, you know, for listeners who aren't familiar with your journey, how you came to this place in your life, maybe a little bit of your background, because I know it plays kind of a big role, uh, not only in your writing, but just kind of, um, you know, how far you've come to now this this holding your your baby in your hands um yeah that's a pretty big question <laughs> and um uh i mean i guess i guess it's a real it's been a really long journey um to even you know the journey before coming to the point that um the realizing that writing can be something that i can actively pursue um took a while or at least you know, um, when I entered college, I actually majored in um, international business, um, and I was failing every single class. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, I just had this other desires that I uh, to be creative, um, and I didn't really realize that 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 was feasible for me. So I guess. You know, I was born in Vietnam, and I, I've been in the U.S. for quite some time now, probably over 14 years or so. So I think, you know, at first, the, the journey is about learning and, like, mastering the English uh, language. And then after that, it's really about reading a lot and then exploring the emotional complexity of, like, the human condition and as well as facing my own demons my own fears and that's that's a lot of what um, becoming a writer is for me um and then I was really lucky when I um an undergraduate I had a teacher that I guess saw something in my writing um that was so encouraging uh of me that's that this is after I I so I actually dropped out my first undergraduate school and then went to a different school and a major in creative writing. Yeah. And so it's it's that it's in his class that I you know I started to seriously pursue it as something I wanted and then yeah, vigorously pursue it in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. 
That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about kind of uh, the emotional complexity of the human condition and digging into that. Obviously, your work does that and some of that. Did you study, and I, I know you've studied widely and deeply in literature, but did you get into philosophy as well? Uh, yeah, I actually, I minored in philosophy and that, you know, that came from just a general curiosity, um, about life and about other people. And I also just love to read like psychological texts or, um, just anything that will give me a window into, um, some, like how someone else's, uh, brain is working and, um, and also really deepens my compassion um, for other people. And I think, I think you know, like compassion does, some people are born naturally with it and um, have it, of course. But it's also something that you can train. And I think as an artist and writer, um, it's one of the most um, valuable thing that should be trained um, deeply over time because it, you know, when you when you judge something or somebody like that effectively ends the, their story. Um, but when you want to acknowledge or want to understand why they are the way they are, it opens up uh, many more doors. And I think mm. it's then the story is much, much more interesting that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you've, you've talked about the role of empathy and and you know, in, in great writing, I think. And, and obviously, you know, I think it's been shown in a neuroscientific study that f- readers of fiction tend to be more empathetic. Have you seen something to that effect? Yeah, I actually, I think I have read that article and that actually, yeah. it, it recently came up in a, you know, I had a conversation with someone and that recently came up and you know, like that person was telling me how like, oh, how nice it is to see this like qualitative and quantitative effect um, from reading um, that is that can be scientifically measured, you know, because it's like this intangible thing that people probably feel before, but didn't really pinpoint. Because um, I think probably fiction is one of the few places that people can go to for um, a source of wisdom and a way to like navigate life um, because it teach, because it does teach empathy. And that's something that I think fiction does very well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about only children's literature just um, came to mind just because, you know, something like Grimm's fairy tales, uh, you know, which is a beloved classic of, (laughs) (laughs) yeah children's but it it is so dark you know when you think about i don't know uh you know these these really dark dark stories that children tend to to even tell i think there have been studies about um you know when when kids are asked to to tell their own kind of fictional tales they often you know kind of go the route of like disney where you know someone dies and you know there's a there's somebody keeping somebody in a tower or you know like there's all these kind of (laughs) recurring themes that come up and i think um you know going back to the psychology piece there's that kind of archetypal 
uh, thing that we have deep inside of us probably that resonates with these and why, of course, storytelling is uh, kind of this universal solvent for for our culture and society. And anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I no, I think you said that beautifully. I, you know, I think fa- fairy tales are like some of the first um, format, I guess, of storytelling and and the and the archetypes. You know, I feel like archetypes in some ways are so mysterious in the sense that it they they travel almost across cultures like mm. almost every culture um will have some fairy tales that uh are so similar to one another um you yeah. know like the stories of like the wicked stepmother that like eats the heart of her <laughs> stepdaughter or something like that <laughs> you know you will find that in just so many um, different cultures or like the story of being swallowed uh, Red Riding Hood being swallowed by a wolf like you you get that expression like across um, yeah across many cultures as well so I it, you know in some ways like I'm really fascinated by archetypes and and I really wonder if like an archetype comes from like the experience uh, of living as being a part of society or if it's, you know, kind of born, like kind of like what people think of when they think of the soul and what we would just sort of know, like having a moral compass, like does that need to be taught um, explicitly? Yeah, I'm, I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fascinating. It really is fascinating, <laughs> I think. And, you, and back to your point about kind of those mysteries of how folk tales um, travel across, um, you know, borders and, and, you know, like, uh, even to cultures that are relatively isolated and then, you know, travel through time and space to kind of, uh, as you said, these, these, these archetypal, very interesting. I mean, folklore is fascinating to me. I've always, I've always loved, um, kind of digging into the, the origins of, you know, kind of the mimetic, whatever, quality it's very interesting but yeah i mean whether it's the soul or yeah something that's kind of pre pre-programmed in in the dna who knows but it's it's uh it's really cool and obviously you know i think a lot of writers who um dig into kind of the serious literary piece you know are forced to to kind of kind of come to terms with some of that in their own work because it's so again a kind of a universal universal language but yeah i also feel like fairy tales um teach us a lot about or you know symbolism it's just so natural for um in fairy tales and that's something that like you know literatures like literary or not um use over and over again (laughs) so yeah yeah well we could probably talk about folklore and fairy tales all day um (laughs) but Let's go back to your fantastic debut novel, If I Had Two Lives, and um, I'm enjoying it very much. It's, uh, yeah, it's been, just been, you've gotten some really nice reviews. Um, The New Yorker said the novel poignantly conjures the difficulties of reconciling the past with an ungraspable history. And of course, um, you can talk a little bit about 
the the book, but um, it, you know, it's, it, it follows a young girl from her childhood in a military camp in 1990s Vietnam, uh, where her mother's hiding as a political dissident, through to her adulthood and then her return. Right. So, tell us a little bit about, yeah, um, how, why, why? <laughs> Let's go to the why. <laughs> why? Okay. So. So I think I had this like compulsion. I felt very compelled to um, tell a story from the perspective of a narrator uh, who is Vietnamese American, um, you know, as as I am, and also to to demonstrate this kind of because there, it, you know, Vietnam has such a unique relationship with the U.S. and there are many assumptions that. Americans have about Vietnam because of that unique relationship. And so every time, you know, uh, I encounter somebody who, who, who realizes that I'm Vietnamese, um, they will inevitably somehow the conversation will kind of gears towards the Vietnam war. Mm. Um, and so I, I realized that when I moved to the United States, but being a Vietnamese person in Vietnam, like that was not the case at all. So, so that's, um, uh, basically the, uh, myopic way that I think, um, many Americans view Vietnam. And I really, um, felt that it was important to break that stereotype to broaden the horizon of Vietnamese stories. And, um, the difficulty that I came up with, you know, with having this theme where the first part of the story is set um, in a sort of a military environment is that it triggers um, American memories mm-hmm. uh, regarding, regarding the Vietnam War. And so I, I ran into a lot of resistance. Um, so so I think that part about, you know, in the New Yorker, that when they said that it's hard to reconcile um between the present and ungraspable history like that was a very personal experience for me because I felt like I had a different history than the one that was expected of me. Like I didn't fit into this, um, you know, uh, narrative of coming as a, as a Vietnamese refugee um, because I'm not, I'm a Vietnamese immigrant. And, um, and so, you know, that was just, uh, it, it, it took many years uh, and, and just kind of, it just accumulates and it came out that way uh, mm-hmm. into that expression of, of that story. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know if I can answer your question, but. No, no, I think, I think that's correct. I mean, I think, I think it was a really hard question and, and I don't often ask authors, you know, like to dig into the why, but, um. I think it sums it up um, nicely. And of course, um, I love this blurb from Gary Steingart, which is really cool to see. A harrowing, wondrously constructed story of childhood and a brilliant meditation on how life is lived today. Um, Yeah. uh, How did you get Gary Steingart to blurb your book? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very, very generous um, of Gary um, so I actually studied um, with him at Columbia Columbia University, yeah. and I was in his workshop. And um, this novel was the thirty p. Had seen the first thirty pages of it, um, and so 
you know, when at school, uh, after school ended and was over for a little while and I finished a book, um, I reached out to him with, you know, a very formal query letter, the same one that I sent to uh, all the agents that I was trying to seek representation from at the time um, to see if he was interested in taking a look at the book. And he was. And and so that's how I got the blurb. And I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, that's great. That's really neat. Um, and lucky. And he's a, uh, a very talented author. And, and uh, that's a. A great get for, for you. Um, so yeah, so let walk us through a little bit. I know you've talked about this at length and we don't have to belabor the, uh, the struggle of dealing with rejection, but let's talk a little <laughs> bit. Let's talk a little bit about that because I think, you know, um, there is something about the process and the roller coaster of emotions that first time authors feel, um, really again, you're wearing your heart on your sleeve here. Um, you're risking, you know, I don't know. There's a kind of a, you know, you have to, what, like go of your ego a little bit to, to get through it. Right. Yes, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I'm very open about my rejections and I love talking about them. Um, because, I feel like that's a part of the story and it's also kind of a demonstration that like art is ultimately very, very subjective in my opinion. You know, so I, uh, when I was seeking representations, that process felt a little bit more smooth to me. And that also set me up for sort of like, like it, it didn't prepare me well for what was to come because I was able to find representation fairly quickly and I had, um, different agent competing for to represent me but um and then I was like oh it's gonna be like this this is gonna be like so easy and I'm gonna sell you know the book for you know six figure and just like live an easy life um (laughs) but of course that was not you know I was very disillusioned and the process um was very drawn out and I got um all rejections for the first um, sub- round submission. Um, and it was just devastating. Um, and, you know, I would, I was just remember like walking on this in the street and just like, just like, you know, breaking out in tears and not being able to control myself, like on the subway and people would be staring at me because I thought like after you put so much work into something that you think is your best, um, it, it just, it just seems like I couldn't do it again if people didn't want this, you know, I, it, at that time, that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but ultimately like it, so after those rejection came back, I took a month to, um, kind of go over every single feedback and seeing like where the editors agree, you know, what, what kind of criticisms keep repeating and so I try my best to address the issues um and so when my agent submitted the book again the second round um we found a home for it so that's amazing yeah well kudos and congratulations thank you on the work so what is that feeling like then you know after you go through that process um you know uh of just holding your first book in your hands, what's that? Is it 
elative? Is it, what did you do? What was your kind of like, what was your emotional response to holding your book for the first time? My, um, I think the first response is relief. <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's actually happened. Like it's here. Um, because did, so- did you have a similar, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, did no. you, did you have a similar response to when, you know, when you got that first, like, yes, we want to publish your book, you know, let's sit down. Yeah. So that, that was more like elation and like just total euphoria when, when I got news that it sold. Um, but you know, because the process from that from that day to actual publication is like about two years. It's really impossible to sustain excitement forever. <laughs> right. Um, and during the process, you know, there's so much uh, there's so much like re-encountering of the work. And so during that time, it's like I have to edit it again and again and and, and think about it and again and again. And so emotionally, like like for me, I've written a story like already two years prior. So it's like it it's hard to sustain for me but so when the book came out it's like a huge relief it just like oh you know because my brain was like engineering all these things about oh maybe something will happen like my editor is gonna die and like it won't get published like I was just imagining all these scenarios that will somehow halt the process um and leave me stranded and so I was just so relieved um, to, to, to see it, to see, yeah. to have the final copy and to hold the physical book in my hand it was surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Your baby. Um, well, that's cool. And, and yeah, I'm sure that's a, a exactly that, that kind of initial euphoria just probably is just, yeah, it really starts to wear off. So you have to keep yourself busy, right? In the, in the, in the interim, you have to keep writing. So what's a typical writing day look like for you? So I usually, you know, drink a lot of coffee (laughs) and, um, I don't eat anything. Um, so I have to write on an empty stomach and with caffeine, um, somehow that's like, that's literally my process. Um, and I kind of sit down and usually I try to go back to past experiences. So like specifically, past um, pains and then from that you know I I, st- I always start from a very autobiographical place um, to you know address certain feelings certain emotions and then I follow those emotions and and typically they will uh, they will just travel until you know uh, to an unexpected place um, then and that's how uh, I guess that's how the process, like it gets transformed into fiction, um, for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, what's next for you? What are you working on presently? Are you, are you working on some short stories? Have you picked a subject for another novel? So I immediately right now, um, I'm actually working on, um, a collaboration with, um, this uh, organization called She Who Has No Master. And um, so it's uh, a bunch of artists and writers get together and um, we work on a theme um, and it's all about uh, being 
you know, the uh, being in between places, cultures and languages. And so we are, uh, you know, our editor is going to just kind of mesh um, our work together and it's going to come out as kind of a visual project um, uh, presented in a gallery in Salt Lake City. Hmm. So that's the immediate project. And then I'm also kind of waiting on um, a final feedback um, for my second novel from my agent. And it's actually about to go on submission probably by the end of this month. So I'm probably mm. going to be in an, an emotional wreck again pretty <laughs> soon. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, congratulations. That's exciting to hear Thank about. You. Um, you know, you've got this great... <laughs> I'm going to point at your uh, at your website, of course. I'll drop it in the I'll link in the show notes, abigailrosewood.com. I love that you put uh, things I love there in the uh, navigation, and uh, I've been poking through it. And, of course, you know, it, it's it's great. It's a fascinating window into, I think it's better than, like, like trying to, like, find somebody's Goodreads uh, page. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I love that you have books I love, movies I love. Music I love even. Uh, I, too, am also a big fan of, I don't know how you say it, but I'm going to go with Atamos by A Winged Victory for the Sullen is such a haunting piece oh, of music. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one I think I think I can write to um, because it's, you know, an ambient kind of meditation. But, um, yeah, do you write to music or do you prefer silence? Yeah, so that, you know, the album you point out, I, like, love to write to that. Um, and I, I definitely, it's like music is a requirement for me, um, for writing. And I think I owe a lot to, um, these musicians because I think that their, the, their sounds, their rhythms, um, are reflected in my sentences. And I think the, the emotions in their songs, um, are, are trigger my own, Mm. um, in a way that, like, I actually cannot listen to these really haunting, like you said, you know, powerful songs um, when I'm just, like, doing my laundry or doing chores. It's just too painful for me to listen to. And it, I use them. I use music that I I love, like, that much only for writing because um, I can't handle it outside of, outside of writing. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think what I'll do is I'll put on that album a winged victory for the sullen uh and continue reading your book (laughs) (laughs) to see see if they they mesh that's great yeah so there you go um fun interactive project listeners so uh of course we'll point out abigailrosewood.com you can find the book there it's at all of these um fantastic uh outlets you can find links there to if i had Two lives, and it is the uh, again fantastic debut. Um, the story follows a young woman from her childhood in Vietnam to her life as an immigrant in the United States and the necessary return to her homeland. Thank you for sharing uh, a little bit about your journey to debut novelist. And um, yeah, before we wrap up, do you want to point listeners anywhere else and um, yeah, leave us with maybe? I think it would be great to hear your advice to aspiring scribes and, and, you know, novelists who haven't broken through yet. Uh, Yeah, of course. So I 
suggest reading a lot. <laughs> um, I think reading, read everything. Um, and then, you know, uh, from there it will start to, you know, the, the map or, um, the map of your taste will start to form. And, um, when I feel like you can also read deeply by if once you find um, an author that you like, then you can start to read the interviews and research like which artists and authors that inspire the one that you like and read all of them as well. Uh, so that's that's what I, I that, that's what I do. <laughs> um, but also, you know, read widely. Like as a writer, I read nonfiction, fiction, genres, um, graphic novels. Um, yeah, I, I read everything. And in terms of, um, I also think consume art in other form, like visual arts and music, um, movies. And I try to, uh, I try to, to, to look for stuff that, um, are less mainstream because I feel like they are less formulaic. Um, because, you know, I think, I think, I mean, commerciality is all about like having, uh, discover the formula for what works um, and what you know what holds what what captivates an audience's attention and um, and doesn't necessarily um, equate art um, and so I try to look for like art house films um, you know stuff that are uh, deliberately maybe difficult and challenging to um, to confront but they they still delight and they are surprising and I think that you can learn a lot from that. Um, yeah, that's sort of my advice. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Abigail, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, and we really appreciate your your wisdom and and um, congratulations on the work. It's it's really uh, I'm I'm enjoying it very much and and uh, I look forward to reading your next one. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> Please come back and, and chat with us again in the future. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.